This podcast is part of the Somebodies Network. You're never alone when you've got some buddies. The Nerd or Not podcast is hosted by a trio of foul-mouthed overgrown children who still think fat jokes are funny. Please be aware that the first four rows are known as the Splash Zone. And now here's your hosts, Jay, Bob, and Corey. The Creighton's Guild. Alright. You uh, ready? Yeah. Okay. Alright. So, oh, um, it's funny that we were talking about um, uh, high school shit because that was somewhat parenthetically relevant to the cold open shit that I was thinking of earlier. Oh. Alright, okay. So... Well, most of what we were talking about before we started, we do were like, I used a, I used a metaphor for some part of the show where you're supposed to be whatever you did on the football team uh-huh. in high school, and um, and then I was like, okay, well you can do that, and then um, I go, I'm going to go ahead and be what I was in high school, and that was the band nerd <laughs> who, had, who had no participation in any sporting events or athletic. I had the fuzzy hat at halftime. Yes, that's right. Although we did like shit tons of calisthenics, and that is about as active as I wanted to get at that point <laughs> in my life. Anyway, but uh, for some weird reason, uh, when I was going over to the dog joint uh, today to pick up uh, pick up dinner, do you ever do you ever have like uh, remembering shit? Like at this point in our lives, is kind of like an uphill battle. We're oh, like God. Alzheimer's is a looming threat, but it's not quite something <laughs> that we have to conf- that we're that we're quite ready or able to confront. You can hear him breathing on at, you, but at, you can't see him yet. As a reality, yes, yeah, exactly. So it's not like okay, maybe when I turn fifty, I'm gonna have to start worrying about it. But right now, we just forget random bits of information. <laughs> Where and, are my keys? <laughs> yeah, and especially like especially like bits of data that we haven't needed access to for a long fucking time. Oh yeah, worthless Jeopardy trivia. Right. Uh, funny thing is that like I remember more Jeopardy trivia yeah. than I do than I do stuff that was like a part of my life for a very long while. I was in band for uh, two. I think I was in band for like my entire high school career, if you want to call it. That. <laughs> it was marching band, and for some reason I was walking up to the dog joint and I was like, um, I was hearing the marching band in the distance playing over at uh, I think it's like Brantley or something. It's not like Brantley, uh, Bishop Moore. Okay, and um, where do we live again? And. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna find those fuckers, and I was hearing the uh, I was hearing the drumline, and I was like, "Oh, it's the drumline." Why do I know that that's called a drumline? Still, I haven't really, I haven't even like confronted the reality of the existence of drum lines as a concept in close to twenty fucking years. I'm I'm lucky I can remember what a line is. Yeah, and yeah, what a drumline. And yeah, I can come into work and pass by the audio booth, and I'll be like, "Oh, Bob's in the um." Uh, it's the booth where audio is maintained and produced. I can't remember what it's called. Whatever. It's fucking... Loud, noisy sounds come yeah. out of there. It's it's Bob, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll just sit down and be like, oh, I have my shoes on. That's wonderful. I don't know when that happened, but it's good. I appreciate it. And yeah, in the middle of the road one day, I'll be like, drumline. I wasn't even on the fucking drumline. <laughs> you were a sax player, right? Uh, I, was, I played sax, and then for some weird reason, I got into like bells afterwards. But it was, yeah... Bells? Bells. You know why bells were the tits in marching band? Because you did I... no fucking marching. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. After two years, it was three years, because after two years of hauling that fucking chunk of brass... And... Was tambourine taken? <laughs> Tambor- the tambourine pussies can't step to bells. Are you fucking kidding me? We don't want no triangles in here. Come no. on. Uh, no, nobody messes with the triangle, dude. <laughs> Because He's the tri- hardcore. The triangle dude is where the lone wolf stereotype came from. That's why nobody <laughs> fucks with him. 
people people rely upon him to keep that one centrifugal like keystone of a beat throughout an entire marching routine. And if you piss him off, everything's ruined. Everything. A marching band routine is drawn, settled, and quartered by the fucking triangle. And if that guy feels like going Maverick that day, because I don't know, he got cock blocked before the before the game, it's it's fucking done. It's so, over. So Negan was a triangle player then. Negan, I guess. If Negan if the triangle player was a bigger pussy <laughs> Then Negan could have been a triangle player. I don't think he could have stepped, though. New Jack was a triangle player. New Jack was a triangle player. <laughs> New, Jack, New Jack probably played three triangles. He probably led, he probably led the triangle gang. If local ordinances allowed that particular school to have oh one. Um, <laughs> it's just a robbery. Have we started the show already? <laughs> Hello, Cretans. Welcome back to the Nerd or Not podcast. This, or oh, the, the, your ball's deep in it now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. The Triangle podcast, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Don't fuck with the Triangle player. You're going to get like, all sorts of Triangle enthusiasts. You'll be found and, in a ditch. No, you know what's going to happen is like one of our comments is going to be like, yo, I did Triangle and then I did 20. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my Triangle players. Pour one out. <laughs> Pour one out for my Triangle boys. <laughs> Three dings, yo. Three dings. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the best opening ever. Uh, okay. Uh, well, we've, 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 got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of weight to, to, uh, to maintain and fill. Because... Yeah, we're going to try and not let this episode get as heavy as some people have let it run away with. Uh, yeah. So, we got yeah, we have a, a particular single topic to talk about tonight, and there's layers to this bitch. Mm-hmm. First off, let's, let's go over some things that are going on between us. Yes. Um, if you are a subscriber to our YouTube channel, you just saw our finale of Halloween and our introduction to Noir Vember. Noir Vember, eh? Halloween got its ass kicked. I don't know how that happened. Uh, he was out of energy. He I was mean, there's, tired. There's so many serial killers out and about during Halloween, at least in Halloween pop culture or associated pop culture. And uh, some <laughs> some dude in a some dude in a in a in a, in a well hewn vest shows up. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't wearing a vest. I wasn't even wearing a collared shirt. No, one, no one's gonna know unless you say it. Now they're gonna look for it yeah. in the blooper reel. They're gonna, yes, they're, and, they're, and there may be many other Easter eggs. And I think that now they're gonna be just disappointed because there aren't. Uh, <laughs> we yeah. had a jet flyby. Yeah, yes, we did. Uh, and there was a fire truck and a fire truck salute. Yes. <laughs> All right, so what are you doing for Noir Vember? All right, Noir Vember. Should, should I explain what this is and how it kind of came I think about? people are pretty familiar with Noir Vember, and if they're not, they need to look it up. Because some people are like, "What's this? why do you do this every November? And it's like, hi, really? Okay. Um, it's kind of a subcultural thing. Uh, as far as I know, it actually started on Tumblr. So this is back in the day when, like, huh. you know, all of us had... I don't know if you had a Tumble blog. I had a Tumble no. blog for a while. I had uh, no, that's not true. I did. Yeah. I, I abandoned it <laughs> Yeah, a year. because it became fucking insufferable, that yeah. fucking website. Anyway, um, so yeah, all of us had Tumble blogs, and I, I know Jay had Sequential Awesome, which is a great, a great blog. Um, and I had two of them. I had Coin Explosion. November uh, was from uh, Old Films Flickr, which was a Tumble blog that I uh, used to follow. And as it turns out, the keeper of that blog went on to uh, work. And correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, if you know, word gets around to this, she went on to work for uh, for ter- for Turner. And like actually, Turner Classic Movies. Turner Classic Movies. Nice. And it was instrumental in getting the celebration of Noir going on, uh, on uh, that one network, the TCM with Noir Alley and stuff. Now that I call mm-hmm. that impressive because when I think of Noir movies, Turner mm-hmm. Classic is the first thing I think of. It's the first thing you think of, and it's the last thing I have access to because I don't have fucking cable. But the, the, the first thing I think of when I read about that story is like, well, Tumblr is like 
so full of failures. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of happy. <laughs> enough about Tumblr. Yeah, enough about Tumblr. <laughs> like, what are your what are some highlights about Noir November you're looking forward to? Okay, this, this well, month? I, every every year Noir November is kind of like a struggle to like uh, come up or dig up new or new old Noirs. <laughs> That, uh, that maybe I haven't seen yet, and I'm purposefully doing this because there's only so many old movies that you can catch up to, and I want to have like a good run of them available before I fucking die. So it's kind of, I'm pacing myself. It's a struggle between uh, digging up old ones I haven't seen yet and finding places to see them. And okay. the second thing, since Hulu got rid of the Criterion Collection and it's, and it's like insanely robust library of wires a couple of years ago, has just escalated the difficulty of this task uh, easily tenfold. Because it could be like if, all right, in a pinch, just go over to Hulu and watch something foreign. Well, you can watch The Naked City again because uh, I can never remember that goddamn movie for some reason. Hmm. Uh, things like that. It was always a good crutch. But uh, something that was cool I discovered a couple of days ago is there's this website called Canopy, which is a streaming site. Uh, it's Canopy with a K. It's such a brilliant idea, and I can't believe nobody's thought of it until now. It's a site where you have access to, like, more than more than a fair shake. I think the site itself says like thirty thousand is a round number, of course. Um, but it's like documentaries, classic movies, cult movies, just things that you wouldn't see or associate typically with like you know modern day streaming services. This almost sounds like a channel on Verve. It almost sounds like a channel on Verve if Verve, Verve actually did something quit, like, like that. Would quit kicking their other channel partners off. Yeah. So let me. We're not sponsored by them. Are no, we? we're not. Okay, good. And we never will be because they're running out of money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let me ask you a question. Does noir fit more of a visual aspect or more of a timetable aspect? Well, what do you think about. Okay, when you think of visual uh, of a visual uh, trademark of noir, what, uh, what immediately comes to your the, comes to mind? Like, when it comes to noir movies, the first thing that comes to mind is the Maltese Falcon. Maltese Falcon is a good one, yeah. It's an old movie, but. The, the way it's shot, the cinematography, the mm-hmm. way it's acted in. Yeah. Now, is there any one particular factor that would make that a noir movie, or is it just all of it encompassed into one? Uh, the visual style, uh, a lot of people agree that the typical, or the, yes, the typical visual style of noir is like post-impressionist, uh, heavy use of extreme camera angles and a lot of charoscuro, a lot of negative space. Okay. That's just visual, though. That's only superficial. Like you can still look at modern day wires or modern day movies and pick out a pick out a small sampling. Like I'll say five off the top of my head would be Fight Club. Would oh, be, would be Brick. Um, would be fucking Blade Runner. Okay. I was about to use um, Death to Smoochie as an anti noir because it's comedy. It's very black comedy. Yeah, so it's a dark comedy. It, yeah. it wears that on it wears that on its shoulder. But there's no there's no heavy charoscuro. There's there's mild shadow play if it wants to reference something directly. But at the end of it, it is about a disgraced entertainer who's trying desperately to get back into the limelight and is willing to go to any reach or go to any length possible in order to achieve that misbegotten goal. Okay, so story plays a big factor. Story is a huge factor. It's, okay. it's like the core factor. Well, like with any cinema, yeah. Which, <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't jump the shark. You said the C word again. Um, uh, but people, people, people will... Uh, well, recognize noir immediately through its, you know, superficial trappings and all of those, uh, all those like rich shadows and a lot of, you know, hey, uh, put down the, put down the rods, yeah, you know, all that fancy <laughs> speak and stuff. And, and, and noir is just an attitude that permeates cinema, movies for, and has for a very, very long time. It doesn't have to be completely dark. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like serious or, you know, or excuse me, it doesn't have to be bereft, excuse me, um, moody. 
doesn't have to be moody. It doesn't have to like be suffering or oppressed under its own gravity all the time. But there's definitely uh, a strain of desperation, of extremes, of um, misguided emotions that drive a lot of them. And uh, that is essentially what you can distill noir through all of its trappings and characteristics and tropes down to. It's just like, ah, uh, is people are going to do some stupid shit. <laughs> because they, they're, they're fucking freaking out. They're fruiting out and they have no good ideas. And we were talking about, sorry, I don't want to like start making out with a microphone here, but a <laughs> butt was pinching. Um, uh, but we we're uh, talking about like a, um, a canopy because I, I wanted to get this out like right oh, yeah, away. Yeah. Uh, it's a streaming service. Okay. Yeah, fine. It's a free streaming service. Oh my God. Ads. Not really. Here's what it is. If you have a library card, you have an account. No kidding. How fucking brilliant is that? It's actually just a streaming goddamn library. And what in the in the content that it streams, I don't know how I don't know how its servers can handle this load. Maybe it's decentralized or something, whatever. But it's whatever is available on the federal public library system. So wow. if it's if it's cataloged somewhere in the country, you can stream it. Even if it's not like at any of our local library. Interesting. <laughs> how did how did it take us this long to come up with something like that? Yeah, we're gonna have to share the link for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you spell it? Uh, K-N-O-P-Y. Because, uh, because branding. You know how that works. And, uh, that's it. You have to have a, you have to have a, a library card, of course. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, as far as I know, and I haven't gotten too much into it yet because I, I literally, like, found it yesterday and then morning shows and then me napping. <laughs> and you know how that works. Um, life. Yes, life. Fucking life just always needs Game to borrow, needs to come over and borrow something every day. But uh, uh, as soon as I can, I'm going to be uh, whipping it out, the library card. Ah! <laughs> you can't go into a library and do that because they'll tell you to shush. Well, <laughs> I know a lot of homeless guys probably do that. <laughs> For free books. But, man, the books are free anyway. You just have to bring them back. But uh, that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, thus far, I've actually uh, packed down two noirs. One's kind of a gimme because it was trailing off of Halloween and... Uh, I hadn't seen the Kolchak movies yet. They count oh. because he always fucks himself at the end. <laughs> Especially the first, the actual movies were a bit heavier than the TV show was, and that should have been expected because the TV show is like Monster of the Week, shenanigans. But the first movie, uh, he's uh, trying to track down a vampire, you know, trying to convince people that it's uh, that it's a reality, that it's actually happening, and then once he proves that it's happening, well, he gets the short end of the. Um, the public relations straw, as it stands. I don't want to spoil it, but um, I really just wanted to chase down Halloween with those movies. So that was it. Then I saw Dementia, which was a shitload of movie in a very short amount of runtime. Hmm. And I still don't even I still don't even know what I really think of it. It's like I want to appreciate that it's experimental as hell and big ups to uh, the Hollywood of the era for financially backing of a movie like that. But... Fuck me. It was just all over the fucking place. It was, it was trying to be, it was like, people think that like arrogance is like a, a staple of like modern day Hollywood. It was like, no, people were trying to get art housey back in the day too. And the thing is, is that like, we weren't so sophisticated with our philosophical literacy at the time. People thought that shit like switchblades busting out of pockets being a follic symbol was deep imagery. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> that's, that's cool. I'm just going to give it to you because it's weird and creative. Yeah, I'm glad I saw it. If you've ever seen a movie that you weren't glad that you have seen, for whatever reason or another, maybe maybe you're glad that you saw it because you know not to watch movies by this particular director anymore. If you felt like it wasn't a waste of time, then that was a movie well invested in. That's kind of like how I see movies. So even like uh, even if it's like a weird little uh, noir oddity like that, that I can't fully appreciate, I can at least see or at least be curious about it 
uh, after viewing. <laughs> and then ask myself a whole lot of questions like, what did this mean? And uh, what did the what did this background, um, what was its placement and the entire mise-en-scene meant to symbolize? And why did I watch this movie to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> movies entertain all kinds of different people. Yeah, movies entertain, movies engage. As long as, uh, as, long as there is a part of your hippocampus that's like freaking out at what's going on in front of your face... Then it's then it's all good as far as as far as I know, and that that kind of fits our theme for tonight. That not all movies resonate for all peoples. Not all people resonate with particular kinds of movies. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to say that before we like start launching into this, because you know if you're listening thus this far, apparently you've not gotten sick of me fucking jawing off, at the, <laughs> jawing off at the bit yet. We're gonna let our uh, our host in absentia kind of uh, lead us. Are we missing somebody? Yeah, I think we are. Oh shit! Yeah, we we were we were gonna try to get him a recast uh, with uh, with uh, the latest in CGI technology, but then I realized that this is a podcast. And that was just <laughs> stupid fucking joke that I just thought of well, when I was half tired this morning. I didn't have the the heart to tell you it's not in our budget. <laughs> it's not in our budget. Can I explain the joke and at least to say why that's so funny? Yeah, yeah, all go right, ahead. Our, all right, we don't have the budget to, like, get a copy of Animal House and maybe Neighbors and then just cut, like, random shots of John Belushi after the <laughs> We can't afford 1942. <laughs> we can't afford 1942, <laughs> which is, you know what? Screw Criticisms, one of my favorite Spielberg movies. Fuck it. And that's kind of like, that's going to lead us into this. We'll, we'll start discussing the finesses of that in a bit. Uh, but uh, here's Jay to uh, push us into the deep end of this conversation. Okay, now b- before I before I step away full time here for a little while, what? Uh, I, I got I got something to say here on this topic. Uh, I want to I want to I want to say something to Mister uh, Martin Scorsese. I think that's how you pronounce it uh, about <laughs> about film in general. And you know I. I I admire Martin Scorsese. I think a lot of his films are fantastic. Uh, they're not really my cup of tea, but he's getting ready to light this guy on fire. I feel so. Yeah. I feel so you, uneasy you right feel now. Here it comes. <laughs> you can see the artistry behind him, and you can see how great they are. To say that uh, films like the Marvel films are, are what's wrong with cinema today is kind of uh, stupid. <laughs> oh God, oh. here it comes. <laughs> Buckle in. <laughs> I think stupid is the word I'm looking for. And and if I had to go. Maybe a step farther to be a little more uh, erudite about it. Really fucking stupid. (laughs) Oh my god! Oh boy. Because without the fucking Marvel films, you twat, you wouldn't have a job right now. Okay? Listen, they make money for the studios so the studios can give your little shithole art house film some fucking budget. Because guess what? People don't like going to see depressing shit about gangsters, you dumb fuck. Oh my okay? god! De Niro did the goddamn Joker because he's sick of your <laughs> bullshit. He wanted to do something that was going to be fucking popular and make him a goddamn mint. I mean, he made some money from Goodfellas, right? <laughs> so, in the spirit of it, though, I wanted to give you three films... From the oh. Marvel Universe. Here we go. Because I could give you a lot more of, of some fucking uh, popcorn films that I'm sure you don't like, you sack of shit. But here's three films from the Marvel Universe that I think you should watch and why I love them. First and foremost, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Captain America the Winter Soldier is a phenomenal film. Yeah, it stars Chris Evans as Captain America, um, you know, fucking tried and true for the red, white, and blue, but guess what? It's a better espionage film than anything else that's been produced in the last probably 25 mm, years. Debatable. Mm, yeah. Give it a watch. I think you might enjoy it. And if you don't, why don't you shove your fucking wrinkled head up your ass and take a look for an opinion that matters. Oof. It was a solid pick, though. Number two, 
Spider-Man Homecoming. Ah, Spider-Man Homecoming Homecoming is fantastic. It is Marvel's take on a coming-of-age film, a John Hughes classic with superpowers. It's better than anything you've ever made and anything you ever will make. Oh, God, this is hurting me. (sighs) Suck it, Scorsese. And number three, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And you know why? His personal favorite. His personal favorite, yeah. Because it blends both comedy and action together in a fantastic heist film that just shows really what you can do with these superheroes. It doesn't always have to be these these jaw-dropping action fight spectacles. You can have really good character and humor pieces with these <laughs> with these heroes too. Something you might want to take a look at, Martin. Oh god damn. Go fuck yourself. Oh, there it is. That, that's that's the cherry on top. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, well, um, apologies <laughs> to someone. As facetious as they may seem, I mean, if we were really apologetic, we wouldn't have played that. <laughs> but that's what that's yeah. what, that's what we do. That's what we do. I mean, which is so funny because like. Um, I don't know how this happened, but at some point, uh, 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 feel free to disagree with this. I had like garnered the reputation of being like the rantmeister on this show, but uh, when you that pull, was vile. When, was... You, when you pull Jay's ripcord, man, he can cook. <laughs> oh, that He's... wasn't cooking. He was torching the landscape and pouring on salt. I I don't know. I'd say that was cooking, if only because well. Search our YouTube channel for the pizza rants, <laughs> um, which is legend, which is a thing of legend nowadays. Um, I can totally see where his uh, his ire might have uh, come from, um, but it was our idea that we would. Uh, we st- this came out a little while ago. Oddly enough, it was like right before the Joker came out, which was if you'd seen it by this point, you know it was like styled after the um, uh, the uh, ground level Scorsese style of character study, mm-hmm. uh, character study film. And a lot of those fit in the wire neatly. As a matter of fact, uh, Taxi Driver is going to be part of my rotation this uh, this year. Ah. Um, because I've never seen it and the uh, the whole thing. And I swear to God, I'm going to get it done. Whenever I do try to watch it, I always make my way up to the uh, scene where Bickle tries to get Sybil Shepherd into the porn theater. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't fucking get it. <laughs> what are you doing, Bickle? Stop. Um, <laughs> and I just like cringe myself over to the remote and roll over it. The thing about... Uh, what was he was uh, saying? Oh yeah, the the rage is palpable, and our idea was that we were going to create like a care package of at least three Marvel movies. Now I tried to stress I tried to stress the point that it it doesn't have to be your necessary your your personal favorite, you know. Um, and I also wanted to throw an extra credit onto the end of it. If you can think of like any non Marvel superhero movie from like the last thirty years, I'd say feel free to drop that one on there. My response to Scorsese uh, was. Um, Actually, well, what did you think? Well, I wanted to... when I first saw it, mm-hmm. we have the quote here. Should we read yeah, it yeah, verbatim? Yeah. It's, um, go ahead. All right. So he, he did an interview with Empire Magazine, and they were asking him about, I guess, precisely Marvel movies. So basically the quote is, this is the one that set the world on fire, apparently. I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the closest I can think of them as... Well-made as, as they are. As well-made as they are, yep. Yeah. With actors doing the best they can under the circumstances is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. Now, okay, there's a center of that quote that I like, that I think 
a lot of people should grab onto is that he was not insulting Marvel. A lot of people, because he wasn't burning the bridge. He wasn't burning the bridge because he, I'm pretty, he, he, he has to know that he's inspired a good chunk of the filmmakers that work on these properties. If not in, all in, in profound ways. James Gunn was like one of the first people to speak up and you know that Gunn would have something to say because that guy is a cinephile through and through. But a lot of people react strongly to it because it's our generation and it's nerds, you know. They get they got hot about the dumbest shit. And of course anybody anybody like leveraging a bayonet at any of their interests is gonna be like they're gonna to topple like dominant like a house of cards. Well so many people, probably Jay included, <laughs> didn't I, actually uh, I, I'm not saying they didn't read it, but they probably misunderstood it, thinking it was an incendiary remark. When mm-hmm. what Jodie Foster said, that was incendiary. Jodie Foster was incendiary, yeah. Um, and I think it's because she she not only has like a very different idea of what cinema is than what she sees uh, or what she sees Marvel as, but she also there's also a, there's, a, there's a small group of people in older Hollywood. That feel a little bit threatened by them. Mm-hmm. Scorsese's not one of them because Scorsese still gets work and he still makes amazing movies and he knows that he does. True. Yeah. Um, but it, I didn't read this as like an assault at all. No, I, was I like, thought it was somebody who's giving his opinion. I was like, this is a guy who understands movie making and filmmaking as a very different thing than what we receive as like mass commercialized uh, movies nowadays. And we don't, we don't, I mean, a lot of times. <laughs> I, th- I think those of us that have been exposed to enough of this side of pop culture know what garbage looks like mm-hmm. and know what garbage doesn't. And we know what we can let in and digest without getting too sick. Or, you know, he compares uh, Marvel to uh, to, uh, to thrill rides. I compare a lot of Marvel movies to Halloween. Fucking love Halloween. Yeah. If I, I eat mean, too much candy, I'm going to shit myself. <laughs> it's not good for me. <laughs> I don't know a Marvel movie that can give you diabetes, but sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> when I first saw this this quote, uh-huh. my initial response was, why are you picking on theme parks, man? I love theme parks. <laughs> I go to theme parks all the time. <laughs> theme parks are fun. Marvel movies are fun. Yeah. And then I never really got upset over the comment because I did like read between the lines like, oh, he's... Oh, it's- I didn't because this is the dude that made Raging Bull. And even if he was like, I rub my balls all over Marvel, I'd be like, you can do that, dude. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, if there's any one person, <laughs> any one person in Hollywood who yeah. has the right to criticize a Marvel movie, uh-huh. it's probably Scorsese. Yeah, which is why when Coppola said what he said about Marvel movies, I was like, dude, you made two good movies and one passable movie. Sit down and shut the fuck up. <laughs> By the way, your daughter uh, it needs to go back to film school. Okay? Thank you for inflicting that mess upon your movie-going audience. Go drink some more wine. Yeah. Do your weird little experimental Oklahoma theater shit on somebody else's... <laughs> <laughs> on somebody else's minutes. All right, so... Uh, With all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just get that out there. <laughs> the only Coppola movie I've ever, like, actually liked was Dracula. I, I still can't finish Godfather 1 or 2. And I know the people are going to be like, dude, you can't, which is why I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt... I know they were Oscar sweepers and shit. And he had a hand in Tucker, the man in his dream. I'll give you that much. But dude, just... Mm, just respect, okay? I mean, for... Just respect. For every Godfather he's done, he's done a Godfather 3. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. But shit. Uh, but, 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 but Scorsese was like... A, he was a gent about it. But he was... He gave his opinion. And it was his honest opinion. Um, and, and the funny thing is that, like, even if... Even if it was worded a little bit harsher... 
if, even if it came off a bit more caustic than it, than it, than it, than it ended up being, I'd be like, you know what, that's probably not what he meant anyway, because this guy is, you know him, or you know about his reputation in Hollywood. He's like one of the nicest fucking dudes in Hollywood. Yeah, we were reading some <laughs> other articles that he gave, like, follow-up mm-hmm. interviews to. Yeah. And what I took away from those interviews is, the man's a film historian. He knows his shit. He's, uh, he's, I, um, I don't want to, like, tweak too many nipples with this comparison, <laughs> but I'd say that he's like the Anthony Bourdain of movies. He makes whatever the fuck he wants to. I like and, that. And he, then he does it very well. But the thing about Scorsese is, like, imagine how long he's been working in Hollywood. Not a single scandal has been attached to him. Yeah. No me tooing at all, because the guy is all about, he's not even all about respect. He's just all about keeping that business clean and vital and working yeah, and literate. There, there's no reports of him making an actor do 127 takes of a single scene. No, and he came from that generation of directors, too. Like, yeah. Amongst your Stanley Kubrickses and your George Roy Hills and shit. Like, rabid perfectionists. And George Roy Hill wouldn't take backtalk from anybody, which is why he stopped after Funny Farm, because once... People like Spielberg and Zemeckis and all those, all that camp took over. People were like, this guy's mean. I don't want to work with him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is that, like, that generation, the Scorseses and the, and the Spielbergs, those people, they learned from the generation that came before. So they had their movies to lead them by example. That's what they thought of as film. And therefore, their answer to that film was an evolution and a better working environment for the people that are involved in creating them. Now, having said that, Scorsese himself, he's very invested in the New York style of filmmaking. He was Woody Allen with yeah, severe. Yeah, think. <laughs> he was, yeah, he had, he wanted edge. He wanted pulp style shenanigans happening on screen, and he wanted them to be worth something. Mm-hmm. For all the horrors that Scorsese made you visit uh, <laughs> in your typical, like, two-plus-hour runtime of your stopover at the cinema, he wanted you to walk out with a better feeling than what you had in the middle of his movies. His horror came with escape. Mm-hmm. And um, and he, he was very good at what he did. Now, Taxi Driver, I have yet to make, I have yet to escape that film. <laughs> and I hope that when I do, I hope that when I do, I'm a better person for it. That might be the one that breaks you. Yeah, that might be the one that breaks me. That's true. But if um, it took this long, then yeah. you're doing, then he's doing something yeah. right. Now, to, to lead into where we, uh, where our care packages uh, are for Scorsese, um, I wanted to uh, finish this follow-up or kind of, uh, kind of like uh, put this through an aperture uh, in this op-ed that he wrote. Not a lot of, pe- not a lot of people wrote, uh, read the op-ed that he wrote for the New York, uh, New York Times, but he actually had quite an eloquent answer for the response to his initial comments. And he did this in a way, <laughs> in a way, by comparing Hitchcock, which were popcorn movies of his time, yep. to Marvel movies, which are the popcorn, uh, you know, uh, soup du jour of our time. So... Certain Hitchcock films were also like theme parks. I'm thinking of Strangers on a Train, in which the climax takes place on a merry-go-round at a real amusement park, and Psycho, which I saw on a midnight show on its opening day, an experience I will never forget. People went to be surprised and thrilled, and they weren't disappointed. 60 or 70 years later, we're still watching those pictures and marveling at them. I'm going to be watching Sabotage for Noir November. Full circle, bitches. <laughs> but it is the thrills and the shocks that we keep going back to. Is it the thrills and the shocks that we keep going back to? I don't think so. The set pieces in North by Northwest are stunning, but they would be nothing more than a succession of dynamic and elegant compositions and cuts without the painful emotions at the center of the story or the absolute lostness of Cary Grant's character. And that's where I think he is reducing Marvel in a way that it doesn't deserve. So basically, what I'm taking away from that is Marvel movies don't have the... The, the emotional character build that movies 
I think he's lamenting then? the. I think he's lamenting the dearth of like strong interpersonal connections between all the characters because set pieces to him seem to be getting in the way of all that. They are I, action movies. They're adventure flicks. Yeah, and I think it's really <laughs> hard to get on some kind of uh, not emotional, but mm-hmm. kind of like on on some kind of same level as like superhuman game irradiated uh human uh, <laughs> so the thing about superhero movies is that they come with so much like circumstantial baggage that yeah. all of us that's that there's a reason why they keep doing the origin story whenever they reboot these things because they because people are not just rebooting their property for like rebranding and like merchandising and shit they're also rebooting their audience's brains into accepting the circumstances ludicrous though they may be that each of the stories uh each of the stories follow in the wake of it's goofy shit it's like we're we're witnessing the birth of zeus every time peter parker gets bitten by a spider you know or thor or thor who was like a very literal (laughs) a very literal manifestation of what i'm talking about um but yeah it's that's the thing about see we're geared towards superhero movies because we grew up with that literature you know our our way of thinking is hard-coded into accepting these grand mythologies sight unseen you know? it, it is a modern day mythology just yeah. like the the greek gods yeah gods and monsters yeah i know it's a trope but that's where it came from it's it's a very apt one and to somebody who's just used to uh writing and creating and watching movies about regular ass people getting killed or killing other people <laughs> <laughs> because of extreme circumstances it's micro scale like we have thanos going crazy because he feels the loss of his entire home planet but up until that point it was it was very noir-esque, not to like force the point yeah. here. It was very noir-esque of his evolution as a character. He got desperate. Uh, severe trauma made him desperate. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't think of anything else. His ideas were not coming to him because once he, once he latched onto that single desperate idea, it was all he could think of, you know? Mm-hmm. And until he reached the end, uh, until he reached the, uh, the goal, uh, nothing else for him to accept. Yeah. Acceptance is a big part in wire, actually. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. I, I wasn't planning on that happening, but there we go. Now yeah. we got that for our show. Humphrey Bogart walking off on the runway. So, uh, you're going to kill the entire universe, huh? Just half, buddy. Just half. <laughs> That's not Josh Bullen at all. Which half? <laughs> <laughs> Your half. Ooh, boom. They might be giants. How about that? Ah, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so it's a bad half. Take. Take take this pop culture. Um. Anyway, all right. So during his uh, hyperventilating rant, there, uh, Jay, <laughs> Jay mentioned that uh, we it was are pretty well composed. I'll it, give him that much. It, it, it was, but man, I've I don't think I've ever heard him that angry. That was that was Tyson going out of Andrew Holyfield. That oof. Yeah. Hold on to your ears. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't content with just punching. Well, he was hungry. <laughs> while throwing all those haymakers, Jay uh-huh. mentioned that he wants us to send Martin Scorsese a... It's like a cultural uh, care package. A care package of right. three movies from each of us. Yes. He threw out uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Homecoming. It was Homecoming. Oh, Homecoming. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And was the other one Winter Soldier? The Winter Soldier, yeah. Yes. Um, three great movies. You get kick-started. I'm going to ride in your wave. Okay. All right. This is actually pretty tough. I mean, what what movies do you send Scorsese to impress him? I would think that you would. Uh, Are we trying to impress him? Or are we trying to win him over? I think I think we're trying to. I honestly, the movies that I would send him would be the ones that would convince him to make a superhero movie. Okay, so probably not the goofball ones like Ant Man or Guardians of the Galaxy, right? They can be comedies. They don't necessarily have to be dark and murdery and 
you know, emotionally distraught. Although you think that uh, Winter Soldier would be a shoo-in because it was stylistically modeled after uh, the Sidney Lumet you know, spy game style of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, oh, you know, one movie I think he probably would warm up to is Thor. The first Thor movie. The very first Thor, the uh, Kenneth Branagh one. Yes. Interesting. Probably for that reason alone, he'd probably sit down and watch it. Uh-huh. It's like, okay. oh, Kenneth Branagh directed this. Okay, sure. What do we got? Mm-hmm. The story is, it, it is a redemption story. It's uh, getting too big for your britches. And well, not only is it a redemption story, I think that would be a good pick for him because it's very much like a mob epic as well. There's a lot of inter... There's a lot of like familial politics, politicking that is going on in that movie with the royal family and yep. you know uh, the brotherly disputes, rivalry between Loki and Thor, and then Loki and Luffy. Yeah, and then the, and then like his uh, his uh, his second thoughts about like or his apprehension at, uh, at ascending the throne of of Asgard. Yep, there's a ton of like classic Godfatherisms in it, even though it's not like you know, <laughs> leave Mjolnir, take the cannoli. <laughs> 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 there's there's not that much grit in it, but because of all of those uh, relationships, I that would be a good pick to me. Yeah, that's a that's a that's pretty astute. And I'm just glancing over the list, uh, calling an audible an extra credit because there are some outside of the Marvel universe. Yeah, the, there's yeah. The, we've already discussed. There's two movies we cannot put in this care patch because they are too good. Because they're because they're like shoe in. Um, it, those were Dark Knight. Yeah. Uh, which is two good words, and uh, Spider-Man uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which is better than The Dark Knight. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it seemed kind of cheap to include those two. Do you think Scorsese would be the kind of guy who would immediately write it off because it's animated? I don't think so. You think he would you, actually you give can, it a you moment? You cannot be a cinemaphile and say no animation, because that's still filmmaking. That's true. If you, it's like If Scorsese sat down in front of what remains of The Thief and the Cobbler and said, I can't do it, oh I God. would probably lose respect for him. But I don't see that happening. So, if I had to pick a second movie, mm-hmm. how about we send him the first Avengers movie? The, the, the Joss Whedon one? Yeah. Because huh. that particular movie was the setup, like, hey, let's uh, bring everyone together. We have to start working together type deal mm-hmm. and showing, I mean, there's still introduction of characters and just getting them all to team up and work as one instead of, like, these individuals I, going at their I, own thing. I do like the character conflicts. And there was the there was the one uh, air quotes twist in the middle of it too. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that that would be it. I think I think so much of the character conflicts come off as like needlessly clean in the in the last act, and there's nothing that really lingers. Even though it's like the meta narrative throughout the Marvel throughout the MCU begins to develop, and you don't feel a whole lot of it at the end of that movie. Everyone everyone's all of a sudden working together, and yeah, the dialogue is great because Joss. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the impacts are quite what that particular person would be looking for. Joss Whedon is very good at selling popcorn movies that function on their lonesome. But unfortunately, what that means is that like they don't really they don't really there's no lasting impact. I mean, shit, they can make the other they can make the rest of the re- the rest of the Avengers movies without him, and they can more or less disregard everything that happened in the second movie, even though that was supposed to be some heavy ass shit at the end. Yeah. Well, so. all these people died, and then uh, an entire country blew up. Well, was technically uh, lifted up out of the earth, <laughs> and then the rest of the time, well, it led to it led to civil war. Oh, mm, damn. Yeah, it had more of an impact than it did. Yeah, don't make me give Ultron its due. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like this. This is making me uncomfortable. <laughs> shit. Um, damn. I, I'm kind of thinking that like I see Ultron was like more Whedon when I saw it. 
But now that I'm thinking about it, it actually did have a lasting impact on the rest of the Marvel Universe. It, it, it had a bigger <laughs> footprint than it did on anything else on the overall it, franchise. It did. And what's the, what's troubling me is I don't know if it was actually that movie or what other filmmakers saw as an opportunity given by that movie in order to build upon uh, build upon a pretty cataclysmic thing that was more or less just like giggled at by the time the credits rolled. I mean, the end of the end of Ultron was where they were all sitting in like a shawarma place, right? Uh, Avengers. That was the first one. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Well, fine. Which um, they, I mean, quick fact: if anyone didn't know, they filmed that a week before the movie premiered. Yeah, yeah. It was that was a goof. I know. Uh, it was a good goof. I was one of those things that um, that Whedon's pretty good at. Which is funny because like I'd expect that like the person who you know wrote the death of Wash to come up with something that was a bit more you know, uh, a bit more visceral than, um, you know, what happened in either one of his two Avengers movies. But like I said, I could be just talking out of my ass with Ultron. I never really thought about it that much. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so your Avengers is the second one. So if I had to make a third one. Yes. This one's tricky because I have the uh, the Redemption movie. I have the team-up movie. Mm-hmm. This one's a little tricky. What I am going to do here, I'm going to say Guardians 2. Guardians 2? Yes. Because of the dad thing. Because multiple dad, daddy issues in this movie. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Yeah, I think just because of the, the father issues with Ego and then with... Not Mary Poppins. <laughs> Mary P- oh, shit, um, uh, uh, oh no, we can't be forgetting his name. Yondu. Yondu, Jesus, God. We just lost major nerd points. Yeah, I know. Not only that, we kind of tanked the whole idea of, like, the importance of character relationships. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, that one really spoke to me. What's his name? Uh, the guy with the blue skin. Oh yeah, when when uh, when he died, I was that hit me really hard. It had a huge impact, and I'll remember that forever. You know, that guy <laughs> when he died. Yes. <laughs> Damn it! Uh, oh, these we, are the, we these know are the risk you take when we you know podcast. because it's not like an Anglican name, and it's not like it's not as easy to to, to recall at. At, uh, at spontaneity, so it's fine. I just had You're Mary forgiven. Poppins run through my head, and that could have been acceptable. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! That's kind of, I'm thinking, where that movie would be a good pick for him. Because of the way that that gun illustrates his characters. Some of the pop culture yeah. references, yeah. I mean, they aren't street-level stories whatsoever, uh, and, and we'll get to that when I make my picks. I think that's kind of important, but the thing is that, like, his characters are all very well illustrated. There's nothing, there's nothing left to, like, um out-of-character surprises or, you know, um, nonsensical twists and shit. Mm-hmm. All of Guns' characters. And my one big my one big problem with a lot of Guns' movies is that his dialogue is, like, super flat. Like, it's funny. He makes funny movies that are very unique and very identifiable. The thing is that, like, a lot of his jokes are shit that not only seem like we've heard in middle school, but we've actually heard in middle school. So, <laughs> so we've, heard, we've heard them before. Now, it's greater, it's great if you're like part of a newer generation and the whole uh, Jackson Pollock thing made you actually bust a belly gut or belly laugh out in the theater. But I was like, man, I made that joke like two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right. He's my people, but I've heard this stuff. All right. So now you have the daunting task of picking the remaining three. Daunting task. Well, the first one's going to be easy as shit because it's like, I keep saying it's not my favorite Marvel movie, but I keep throwing this out whenever we discuss like, uh, blockbuster quality and shit, and it's always going to be Doctor Strange. Okay. Now, what I was just referring to a little bit ago about uh, Scorsese uh, being mostly invested in street-level characters is that we talk about, like, punks, thugs, misfits, failures. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange is not a redemption story, but a reconstruction story. Yeah. Uh, how somebody does himself in through... Uh, through, um, uh, through uh, Tragedy. Well, it's tragedy. He doesn't deal with tragedy that well. In the beginning. Yeah. 
And as a matter of fact, his pursuit of uh, those, uh, well, as far as he was concerned at, the, at that point in the movie, restoring his skills was just it was just plain ass avarice. You know, all he wanted to do was get back to his former lifestyle as like a surgeon and still, you know, just be awash in his own arrogance and ego for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's like a it's a moving on story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he that was a very visible failure. Not that he had, you know, not that he was involved in that car accident, but that his vanity was leading him astray uh, in trying to figure out what he was actually supposed to do. He never reconstructed his hands by the end of the movie. He never got that that MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. But what he did do was, you know, he saved the planet, whatever. Um, <laughs> he did that godlike comic booky thing. But he found uh, he found his purpose. He found a new station, and what's more is that he found a shit ton of acceptance. Because think about all the stuff that he had to go through up till that point in the movie, up till the end, and the cherry on this like uh, this uh, character study and hiding of a movie was that he didn't even uh, reach denouement. Fucking French words. I'm sorry. He didn't, even, <laughs> he didn't even reach that conclusion with a knockdown dragout fight. He uh, he reached it through uh, relying upon his own resourcefulness. And outwitting uh, Dormammu. Yeah, his wits. Yeah, that is the first one I would drop in Scorsese's lap. And then I'd be like, look, I'll go ahead. You can have your opinion, but watch just this one, okay? And then talk to me again. Okay. All right. Uh, The other two were a little more difficult because the second one was either going to be Iron Man 1 or Iron Man 3. I am deferring to Iron Man 3 because it is done in a early development blockbuster style because it's Shane Black. That's the one movie where he was going through PTSD. The PTSD was hitting him. And Tony Stark is very much a ground level character, which is why I would say any of the Iron Man movies would be fertile ground except for Iron Man 2, which sucked balls. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it sucked my pubes straight. That's how fucking, that's how much I don't like that movie. Um, and it's not because of Mickey Rourke. It was just a bad effing flick. It was, it was very flat. But I also wanted to do Iron Man because he, while he faced similar uh, he, he faced similar circumstances, Tony, as uh, as Doctor Strange at the beginning of his movie. I mean, the thing is, at the end of his movie, he still won with a dra- with a knockdown dragout sort of a fight, even though he well, technically you could say that for all these movies, he technically won the fight, won. And that's the thing. I, I think that's the thing that I like most about Doctor Strange is that there was no, like no winning. It was it was it was it was a bargain out. It was an agreement that was eventually it was a push. reached. Yes, it was a push, and that was cool. There was no like combat. There was no like you know I'm going to beat you in the submission until I find a window of opportunity and then blow up some you know cause extensive property damage or something like that. You know, Iron Man was I guess Doctor Strange or at least the the Doctor Strange uh, character track of sacrifice and all that other stuff. And yes, Iron Man did do it first. I think Doctor Strange did it better. However, Iron Man three gave us something new. It gave us success and the pit that lies at the end of it. So you take Tony away from the Iron Man. What do you have? You just have, well, a genius. <laughs> you do. It's, it was, it was, it was like a traditional action movie in the, in the Shane Black vein because he had to take those, he had to take that crutch away from him. I think quite literally at some point in the movie, right? He was on a, he was on a crutch and he had to get rid of it. Yeah. Um, so, hey. How's that for symbolism? It had great lines, of course, because it was Shane Black, and he's like a beast with dialogue in every movie that he does. And yeah, okay, it was, again, Shane Black's kind of like go-to rotational plot of like uh, secret military-industrial bodies uh, came up with a puppet terrorist in order to, uh, you know, make more money, blah, blah, blah. But Iron Man 3 dealt with uh, PTSD in a very real way, and of course it was like his uh, his own struggle to 
reclaim the mountain without any aid, without any help, but without distrust as well at the same time. And the part where he's like breaking into uh, the Mandarin's uh, hideout with all of his homemade devices and stuff, that yeah. was so fucking cool. And it was and it was great. So it has antiquity going for it, but it has modernized antiquity to reinforce it. Plus, it has a lot of that ground level uh, ground level character um, analysis that I think he took again, down Trevor with MacGyverisms. Yes, he did, <laughs> and he did it. And he did it in the face of his own uh, his in the face of his own injuries, in the face of his own self doubt, uh, with a healthy dose of PTSD, and not as explicitly stated alcoholism. But you know it was there because <laughs> it's Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, the third movie. Yeah. The third movie I had to chew on for a little while because honestly, <sighs> it was going to be Winter Soldier. Well, it, you knew Jay was going to pick that. Yeah, it was going to be Winter Soldier and I knew Jay was going to pick that too. Um, afterwards, I was going to chase it down with possibly Guardians of the Galaxy, but you made a better case for Guardians too. I don't want to pick either of the Spider-Man Far From Home movies because and I hate the I hate the I hate that a review had to point this out for me, and they're right, and I can't unsee it now. What? I, the personally, they're my favorites out of the Marvel out of the MCU portfolio. But uh, without Happy Hogan, Tony Stark, or any of the other uh, authority figures in those movies, uh, what is Spider Man doing? He's doing nothing. He's the neighborhood. He's the friendly neighborhood Spider Man. Yeah. But he's still kind of not doing anything. He is. Well, they kind of touched that in the the first movie. That's true. They That's... took away the suit, and he had to do everything on his own. Uh, that's that is that is true, but still, he was given his goals. He was still given his aims. True, and I know that like the vulture uh, eventually. And here's the other thing I don't like about homecoming, and I hate thinking about this because it's a micro scale problem, and I'm really sensitive to those. But the vulture just happening to be his prom date's dad. Oh, fuck all of that! Don't write movies like that. (laughs) I beg you, it has to stop. I, I think that was more Sony than it was anything else. I Saying, guess. Hey, let's do it like this. I oh, mean, there, there, there is a way to make that personal without like trying to weave it into Peter's personal life. I mean, they wanted to they wanted to bust their identity revelation nut early on. No, just wait for J. Jonas Jameson to come in and do that. Oh, my God. I know he's kind of a worm. <laughs> he's kind of like a wormier version of Triple J than I'd like, but that's kind of in his wheelhouse as a sensationalist media figure and so give give it to him for that but the, the fact that the vulture was so close to his little monkey sphere is ridiculous <laughs> now the thing about homecoming that i do like is that it is a very real representation of a teenager uh i, I know i talked before about the difference between toby mcguire mcguire crying at the death of uncle ben and tom holland crying at the end of homecoming because of uh because he's like with all the it. debris on his back? Because he's about at his limit and he doesn't know what else, what else he can do. Hmm. We were all teenagers once, and Holland seems to remember that, yeah. which is very cool. It's not a movie I would send him, though, because of all the inconsistencies and shit. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so what would be that third one? Neither one of the Ant-Men, because they are crime movies and they are street-level movies, but they're campy as shit. And unfortunately, they do suffer from a ton of microverse problems. I think when he came up with that line, he was watching Ant-Man. When he came I, up, when been. he was thinking of, he was he was also thinking of personal favorites too. So what's the last one? Well, uh, let's see. There's First Avenger. That's kind of like a. It's a Joe Johnston movie. Yeah. So stylistically speaking, that would be uh, that would probably uh, be along his wavelength. Probably. Uh-huh. Uh, what else? There would be anything else that we haven't really touched. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. No. I definitely don't think no, that. No, not for him. Not even in, no. <laughs> Black Panther. I really don't know if that'd be his his cup of tea or not. We love you, YTD, but it can't happen now. Yeah. Uh, Black Panther, uh, being that it is not as great as everyone says it is, probably couldn't send that because a lot of it is uh, a lot of it is relationships of convenience and it's not microverse problems 
uh, because, well, uh, Wakanda is a xenophobic, you know, micronation. Mm-hmm. But it does remind me a lot of, um, like, when they decide to open the gates to Wakanda afterwards, uh, or at least open their trade uh, industries. I don't know, they're kind of vague about that, weren't they? Because as far as I know, they left all of the socioeconomic stuff in the background, and then he's opening up, like, a youth shelter or a YMCA or something. Yeah, like an outreach program. Like an outreach program, yes. And I'm like, well, I don't know what has, that has to do with your uh, economic infrastructure and all that other shit, but... Um, oh, absolutely right. nothing. Yeah, <laughs> but it's good. <laughs> I, we appreciate the gesture. I don't, I don't know. It was... I have a lot of, like, not thematic problems with it, but I do have a lot of narrative problems with it, and I definitely have a problem with how they represented... Um, uh, 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 oh, come on. You know this. Black Panther, the lead character, his actual oh name, uh, T'Challa. Thank you. Yes, T'Challa. I kept. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so yeah, T'Challa. The thing about Black Panther, uh, the thing about T'Challa is that he is very distanced. Uh, he's a monarch. And he acts like a monarch in the comic books. Yeah, he was pretty much there in Civil War, but they wanted to. Th- they threw that out in that movie, and I think I know why. I think I knew it because a lot of people would be assholes about it being a Black Panther movie. If you had the balls or the temerity to make him unlikable for the first two quarters or the two, first two thirds of the movie, then character development could have been a much more impactful and, I don't want to say memorable. That kind of reduces everybody else in the movie. But the thing is, I don't think they went as far enough as, they went, they didn't go far enough with making him detached from the rest of his people. And I know he's supposed to be a man of his people, but he's also an old school monarch. And that was why the character in the comics is so much more interesting to me. If you make the child an asshole, you'll get, uh, you'll get a character worth remembering. And, I know Chadwick Boseman can do it. Uh, I, I just don't think the producers are going to let him for a little while. Yeah, <clears throat> it may be in the second or third movie. Maybe, maybe. But maybe. it's starting to sound like we're left What's with left? the first Avenger. There's the first Avenger. There's Captain America Civil War. Oh, and that's it. <laughs> we're, we're just, <laughs> that's it? <laughs> we're just up to far from home. So I'm going to throw us all a little curve here. Okay. And I'm going to go back to... Not the Incredible Hulk. I would, but it kind of dropped the ball in the third act. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to go with The Punisher. Which one? Thomas Jane, 2004. Okay. Uh, directed by Jonathan Hensley. Directed and written. Uh, formerly of the Die Hard franchise, uh, having helmed uh, previously Die Hard with a Vengeance. The third one, also my favorite Die Hard. The Punisher movie was done in a very... Uh, that very slow burn 70s style of revenge, of revenge, uh, action movie. Yep. Um, that was what an action movie was back in the day. It was like Steve McQueen looking mean and then a car chase <laughs> and then, uh, just because it's in his contract. Yeah. This, just because uh, he put it in his contract there, but there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pursuit and distrust and paranoia that was, uh, lacing, that was laced throughout a lot of those movies. Um, conversation was one we were talking about earlier because I didn't know Coppola directed that. He directed a movie that I liked. <laughs> Fuck him. Um, <laughs> the French uh, Connection. French Connection. Uh, same idea. Uh, Three Days of the Condor is more of a Winter Soldier thing, but there's a lot of those, there's a lot of those moody touches still. And you know, it's Thomas Jane. He fucking burned it up in that movie. So, so, so great. But I think the reason that it would be like uh, not a quintessential Scorsese movie, but like a dessert for that particular individual, that particular creative, is that it is very, very much low to the street. A lot of what happens to Frank at the beginning is kind of extreme, but then again, it's the guy that made Casino. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
and he could always, you know, try to uh, try to play it off as as like a, an, an unreliable camera or an unreliable narrator, et cetera, et cetera. And the uh, lengths to which this guy went to not just exact revenge, but to rationalize it or justify it. And then the most important thing was the character that he he became after all that shit happened when he was pointing the gun at his. That his throat? Yeah. Now, at the time that I saw that, I was kind of like a little... That's a little operatic, all right, guys? But it did make sense that he wasn't quite the Punisher until that moment in the movie, which wasn't even maybe five minutes before the credits rolled. The rest of the movie, he was just Frank Castle. Yeah. So that's a... On the edge, but still Frank Castle. He was Frank Castle very much... I think he was over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think he, uh, I think he left the edge uh, quite a distance away in his dust. Um, but uh, yeah, he, uh, he cemented his position or his uh, reason for being by that point as the Punisher after the job was done. And that is very, very much a Scorsese-esque level of character evolution to me. How everything comes together right at the end. Right at the end. So that's my three. Did we come up with extra credits? Do you have one for extra credit? You know what? The Punisher was my extra credit. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I, t- I stole that from you? Yeah, but... Oh, I'm that's so sorry. Fair enough. Because um, it's still an MCU movie. Kevin Fake produced it. Yep. Yep. I do have... Huh, I, guess I, I have another movie in mind, but I'm, I'm second-guessing if it would be worthy of honorable mention or not. Now remember, it doesn't have to be Marvel. It doesn't even have to be uh, DC. It just has to be superhero. Oh, it's definitely something. Okay. Um, now I'm really interested. It's a movie that I honestly think it needs to be remade because mm-hmm. it came out before all the, the superhero movies were just left and right. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, Mystery Men. Oh, shit! No, that is a good pick. I mean, it was kind of a sloppy movie, but... Yeah. Holy fuck! It would be like okay. Let's see. Let's 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 bring this let's bring this down to human to humanity's uh, to humanity's perspective. It could be just a group of people that are pushed to their emotional limits uh, for whatever agendas they may, they might hold from each other themselves. That kind of see a comic booky sort of uh, uh, a sort of a solution to their problems by like dressing up as goofy ass superheroes and haphazardly trying to take care of their situations in that sort of a role. Trying to fulfill the, uh, n- not not be the social rejects that they have been made out or are seen to be. Right. They're going through, but they're taking extreme measures in order to, like, uh, re, uh, uh, regain control over their or over their disparate situations. Mm-hmm. That could totally be done. And you know that's what the original, the comic book Mystery Men was. Yeah, Flaming Carrot. Flaming Carrot. But the Mystery Men were just assholes. They were just, they didn't have, they didn't have... <laughs> didn't have any powers or anything like the blue raja had like something that could be something that could be like rationalized as being close to even having a superpower of some sort well they had abilities they didn't have powers yeah but mr furious's didn't even he didn't even have like <laughs> that like otherworldly super fury that he had in the movie he just got mad that's all he did <laughs> that's literally it do chiron for a week yeah oh my god <laughs> No, then he would learn super, the super fury. He would learn supernatural super anger after doing that for a while. Um, that's a goddamn good pick, and I'm kind of jealous now. Shit. All right. <laughs> What's your honorable mention, then? Okay, my extra credit. Um, and unfortunately, I didn't think about this as deeply. Shit. <laughs> oh, man, I might need some help. Let's think about, like, very unconventional anti-comic book movies. I'm not thinking about stuff like Super or any of that stuff. Okay. Uh, Nothing that's, like, I, too postmodern. How about this? I'll throw out some titles, and you okay. tell me if... If it would be a good idea, I don't know. Yeah. How about uh, Men in Black? Uh, I don't really think of that as a superhero movie. 
Is it? I mean, I know it's, it's based on a comic book, but... Definitely not a superhero movie. Science fiction. Science fiction with a, with a little touch of a, 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 consi- a conspiracy flick. It, it's a police movie, basically. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's very much a procedural. You're right. Yeah. There's that element to it. That, that one's a little iffy. That is very iffy. I mean, do we just want to put in our our two... These are too good to go in this pile? Because if you want to convince a guy, you want to send him the very best. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dark Knight and uh, Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would send him the Dark Knight. Definitely Dark Knight? Definitely Dark Knight. You would send... Well, yeah, you would send him I, Dark Knight over Spider-Verse? Spider-Verse is way better than the Dark Knight, but you know what the Dark Knight is? It is classic. I mean, Spider-Verse is classic in its own way, but it is very much a postmodern sort of a film. Dark Knight is... Dark Knight is a crime movie that deserves to sit amongst, like... It deserves to sit amongst, like, Heat, Ronin, all of those. That's what kind of a movie... That's, that's when I think comic books kind of, like, transcended the box in which they had been kept for a very long time. And the funny thing is that, like, it wasn't even a very ballsy sort of a move, you know? That was just, like, a natural evolution of somebody seeing uh, a lot of the grit and identifying a lot of the grit in that sort of uh, a character archetype and then reining it the fuck in. There's Logan. What the yeah, hell? Yeah, Logan. But Holy I, I, shit, I would yell at him. You, you know why I didn't see it? You know why I didn't suggest it, though? It's not MCU? Because I haven't seen it. Oh. Yeah, extra credit works. I haven't seen Logan yet, though. Oh. I need to. I know this. Yes. <laughs> I have it on DVD. You could take it home. Uh-huh. Let's see. There's also, uh, you know, Kick-Ass would not be... I think Kick-Ass... Kick-Ass can be something that he would appreciate, but again, it kind of, like, suffers under its own weight. I think it'd be too young for him. I don't I mean, know. I mean, he I... made Taxi Driver. Hellboy. I was thinking about Hellboy. Sin City would be an interesting pick. Now, I'm not saying I would do that, necessarily. No, I wouldn't, but I'd like to hear your reasoning. Because because it is like a macro of, of classic noir movies. It's 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 all the trappings, but without the core. And, I, and I'm very interested to see how he would respond to something like that. Because it's, it's well made. It is extremely well made. Mm-hmm. Especially considering the meager resources that were used to put it together. That's what makes it Noir-esque at its core, or at, 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 its, at its most. It was so good that the book it was based on, the guy who wrote it thought, hey, I could direct a film if the movie's that good. And he was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but Sin City, it... it, it it um it knew that with like with less with the less you had to work with and the less resources you had at your disposal, the more movie you can squeeze out of them, the more volume it produces. Um, even if there was like a you know a campy sort of a you know a pastiche of a script that was that was underpinning the whole thing. Right. I, I would totally like throw that in his mailbox. Yeah. Um, now, if it was up to me and I had the fun say, I would definitely put in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think I think Scott Pilgrim would be one that he could get into. I think it's because it's still a straight movie, but it does take a piss out of a lot of superhero tropes. And that's something I can definitely see him getting behind. Dread's another one that I need to see and have not. 2012 Dread was very, very good. I am so disappointed it didn't do as well as it did. I, I love 1996 Dread, but you know what? Not, uh, not if a gun was pointed at my head. <laughs> <laughs> I would not do it. Um, <laughs> but that's another bad movie that I'm just like unapologetically in love with. Fuck it. You know what? I'm going to say Sin City. Sin City is my extra Sin credit. City? I am, Yeah. That, as a matter of fact, that would be the first movie that I would show him because you know he does benders. When you got a personal theater, <laughs> when you got a personal theater, you are used to just sitting or parking it for like six hours at a time and just cramming as much pop culture into your, into your like calcium containers you can. Um, and I would I would totally have him start with Sin City as an appetizer. My other three would be the main course. Okay. So as a uh, roundabout way, here are the movies we would include. They would start with Winter Soldier, Spider-Man, 
Homecoming, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ant-Man and the Wasp, mm-hmm. Thor, the first Avengers, uh-huh. Guardians of the Galaxy 2, mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. Iron Man 3, Punisher 04, uh-huh. and then the extra credit of Mystery Men, mm-hmm. Dark Knight, and Sin City. Yes, yes, yes. That that could probably win over anybody who doesn't have their fingers in their ears. I'd hope so. The reason I thought about care packages, as opposed to us just like, you know, <laughs> not to take anything away from Jay's masterful fucking rant, <laughs> but when, when nerd podcasts kind of uh, latch on to like the controversy of the week it tends to be very impassioned and it tends to be very is this really me talking (laughs) it tends to be very ah, militant (laughs) we'll go with militant you know just just to be nice i'm trying a new approach here this week and i and i was thinking to myself okay but as as a cinephile you're not going to help the dude. You're basically saying, all right, well, you don't like our food, then get the fuck out of the restaurant. You're not saying, look at the rest of the menu. Yeah. See if anything else leaps out of you. I like that. I swear to God, there's a lot of good shit in this restaurant, and you're just missing out. You had a bad couple of dishes, or a couple of dishes that didn't agree with you, more or less. Well, yeah, don't don't burn down the whole restaurant because you didn't like the grilled cheese. Yeah, or just don't ignore the entire restaurant wholesale, you know? Like, the first time I went to Cheesecake Factory... I had something that I, that I wasn't really impressed with. It was probably just like chicken fingers and pasta or some shit. But then the second time I went, because somebody paid for me, I was like, this place is fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this is a chain. This is so unfair to other chains. Their cheesecake's not that bad either. I'm not, see, that was that was what that was what set me uh, at arm's length with them. I don't like cheesecake. Oh. Like most cheesecakes. I Now people are really screaming at this. Yeah, shit. I'm screaming. <laughs> I'm not You're not in the, arm's reach with me right now. I'm not big in the cheesecake for a very specific and uh, uh, narrow set of reasons. And we'll go into that like on another podcast or something. Probably the one where Halloween beats up Noir is the <laughs> one after that. Um, well, that won't be until next September. Yeah. And you're going to have to catch wait the wire by surprise. Yeah, wait a minute. Because he's not even ready. Yeah. Yeah. But if, but if, you know, all you're, if all you're going to do out of a controversy is make a YouTube video and like make it, make it all screamy and engaging, just do what you can for the thumbs up. You're not really, you're not really helping the conversation all that much. And what's worse is that you're not getting word out of things that are worth paying attention to and worth, uh, that are worth your time. To somebody who would benefit from them, and I know that as as Scorsese is like uh, the diehard cinemaphile that we're that we're describing him as, or that we think of him as, we don't want to keep shit away from him. We want to we want to introduce him to more and varied approaches, more and varied stories. There 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 are tons there are tons of universes out there that are worth at least wandering into, and then wandering out if you don't fucking care for them. Yeah, it, well, at the same time, it's really hard to widen the gaze of uh-huh. somebody whose eyes are the size of towns. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. He has he has created like whole universes himself, all separate from each other. And I know that Marvel, you know, because it's corporate, has to take place in this one. Maybe he saw it as a bit limiting. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's what uh, keeps those movies at arm's length from him. But I don't think there's any harm in in increasing somebody's you know cultural nourishment or inviting inviting people over to have, I like that to to have a little bit of fun at your house. You know. It's, it doesn't do anybody any good to be like, hey, man, fuck you. We don't need you. It's like, okay, put put on the brakes, Mr. Scorsese. Just here's You're allowed how, to have some cake once in a while. Yeah. You don't have to eat cinema health food all the time. Exactly. It's like you have too much quinoa. You're just going to shit liquid, and that's really uncomfortable, <laughs> like some of your movies, you know? So we get it. We love your movies, too. We just think that, uh, I don't know. Jay maybe may not. not. <laughs> maybe, Jay maybe not. 
Uh, yeah, that's true. Just like don't throw out the don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So that was my res- that's our response to Scorsese. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, and I think as as a palate uh, as a palate cleanser, I think. Uh, I think the most important movie that we could send him in this care package is Jay's Rants. <laughs> <laughs> after every single after, movie. After all the movies that he watches, and he's like, these little shits. I didn't do anything to them. <laughs> all right. Well, you know what my next movie is going to be about? Eltingsville Club, the movie. <laughs> and you know, you know, um, the guy that created that fucking comic. I can't remember his name either now. Shit. <laughs> you know, the guy would be all about that crap, too. He'd be like, dude, I'll give you the rights for a penny. just four nerds that are just being like absolutely horrible to each other all the time sounds like us sounds like (laughs) sounds like us yeah we're just we're just horrible not to not to each other for the most part all right so that's probably a good part a good time for us to go ahead and sign off i think this was one of our better podcasts even though we weren't as newsy as we normally are not not as topical. Not as no. topical. No, honestly, it's kind of a slow. Uh, it's kind of a slow month anyway. Except for you know the Joker and stuff. Can't even talk about the Joker. We'll get to the Joker. Yeah, we'll have right. plenty of time to get the Joker. All right, so guys, we're gonna go ahead and sign off for this one. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and ask that you go ahead and give a review with a five star or whatever. Yeah, don't wait. Just go ahead. Yeah, please do it. Go yeah. do it. Do it now. Why aren't you doing it? Do it now. <laughs> now. Now. Do it now. Do it now. Immediately. Uh, go ahead, check us out on Twitter or YouTube or Instagram. Just look at uh, Cretans Guild. Mm-hmm. You can find Jay doing his video game thing with his Square geocast. Pegs. Square Pegs on YouTube. I am so pissed off at him that he has made he has been able to maintain the presence of mind to do something that I've been wanting to do for like five or six fucking years and can't. Don't be jealous. <laughs> You're mentally stable. Be proud of that. Uh, I don't know after that rant. <laughs> <laughs> okay, momentarily perturbed. We all have those moments yeah, easily. Yeah, you, you, you have you have to vent. Yeah, it's gotta you gotta let it out once no, in a while. No, no matter how grimy it makes you feel after hearing it, it's just gotta vent every once in a while. Well, when he sends us a file and it's titled "Fuck You, Scorsese." <laughs> No, you know what's gonna happen is, is he's gonna do he's gonna do another one of his mob epics before before all is said and done. Like I'm pretty sure he's not gonna retire. One of his characters though is gonna be named Jay Malone because a, <laughs> it's a Scorsese character name, but B the attitude's all there. You know, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. If Scorsese did anything like that, Jay mm-hmm. would be all for it. Like, yeah, go for it. He'd yeah, pro- make him a hockey player out of the Boston. <laughs> he probably he probably would be totally down for a Scorsese sports drama as long as it's not Raging Bull. No, it's about a goalie who's trying to ra- go through the ranks of the IHL into the ACHL. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just funny because Goon not, wasn't necessarily a soft watch, and he loves that movie. I li- I like Goon. It was, it was also a B, so um, I I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think our next challenge should be find a Scorsese movie that Jay likes, which would be an actual challenge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In the meantime, I've got to promote, uh, we do have a Patreon page. We do have a couple of supporters. Keith Gowaw, you know, throw out support for you. Thank you of uh, the pop-up film cast, which I am going to be a guest on pretty soon. <laughs> and stay tuned for that because last year was a doozy and I'm going to see if I'm going to outdo myself this time yeah, around. Yeah, we're not doing Emu Stad 2, right? No. 
No, well, I could. But it just, it has to be as off color. As I could. You could. Uh, nah, we should nah, nah, don't, nah, be don't do sequels. We're a better studio <laughs> don't than be that. Sequel. Don't, How many yeah. sequels are we sending to Scorsese? <laughs> One, two, three, four. But, but sequels that are self-sufficient. I think that was important with those films, too. That's true. Um, anyway. Alright, so we're going to sign off. So to all of our followers, new and old, we say welcome to the guild. And Scorsese, too. Mm-hmm.